0: This episode of I'm Horrified is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Go to Audibletrial.com slash horrified to get your free audiobook and start listening. It's that easy. Right now, I'm listening to Going Clear by Lawrence Wright. Which pairs perfectly with our Scientology segment in episode six. And I'm listening to The Rogue Not Taken by Sarah McLean, a sizzling romance novel for those who enjoyed episode 49. So head to audibletrial.com horrify to start your free trial now. Happy, Happy listening!
1: We hate it! Hello everyone. Hi, everybody! Welcome to episode fifty-six of I'm Horrified. Woo! Ooh! It doesn't have the kind of pizzazz as like fifty or yeah. fifty-five. But we're over halfway to sixty. Yeah. Fuck fifty-five. I'm yeah, done I, with her. I'm. She's over. Forever. <laughs> she's, over. she's canceled. She's canceled. Um, no, you can go into our backlog and you can listen to her if you want. I want you to listen to our episodes because that's, that's good for us. Um, so I honestly don't want to do any rambling intros. I
0: We can't. We frankly don't have time. We simply do not have the time this week. <laughs> I'm Sam. This is Allie. Welcome to I'm
1: Horrified. We well, have to get going. We have to get going. Sam, why is it that we have to get going?
0: So I took on a topic that um, was more complicated than I thought it would be. Today we're going to talk about, for me, uh, Shen Yun Performing Arts. Yes. <laughs> it's
1: been memed, and now we're doing it. Um, and then I'm going to talk about terrible astronauts, but that's just going to be a footnote on this episode. I
0: can't wait, though. You know I love people who are bad at their jobs.
1: Well, it's not... Okay, you're going to be disappointed. because oh, no. It's not that they're bad at their jobs, it's that they're bad no and that they all have the same job which is space which is space but again again we don't have time for this so they're
0: terrible people
1: but they're okay astronauts i didn't look into whether or not they were good at being
0: an astronaut <laughs> i don't think you're allowed to stick around if you're not good at it yeah that'd be my argument as well but we're gonna get there we're, we're not even there. there yet
1: all right everybody brew yourself a, a pot of tea sit down we got
0: a while. Okay. So I started researching this topic, thinking it would be one thing. And then halfway through, I was like, oh, it's actually, like, this other thing. Okay. But it's actually a completely third thing. So this is Shen Yun. Yes. <laughs> if that ain't our MO. <laughs> so Shen Yun Performing Arts is a performing arts and entertainment company founded in 2006. The company tours to theaters all around the world, performing a dance show that they say, quote, revives 5,000 years of Chinese culture. And here's the poster. Um, we'll tweet this too. Ali, I'm going to show it to you. I'm sure you have seen it because I have oh, seen it. I have seen it everywhere. Everywhere. And it's like a woman doing a very fancy jump and she's got these big sleeves and then it says Shen Yun. I've always kind of wanted to see it. I like dancing. Yeah. That's fun. It's supposed to be a good show. Um, but... What would you say if I told you that this show was created by the founder of an alien doomsday religion who was kicked out of China for his anti-communist views and continues to be persecuted by the Chinese government to this day? Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I'd say, are we going to get through this in 45 minutes? (laughs) There's so much. I was also surprised (laughs) when I found this out. I heard about the story originally from a random tumblr post as I find many news information yeah that's really the lifeblood of this podcast (laughs) um and it was just like a picture of the poster and the caption was like sometimes I forget that Shen Yun was founded by a weird cult lol and I was like a cult I'm doing this on the (laughs) podcast but the more you research it the more complicated it gets I cannot wait to share with you I'm so excited what's going on so to understand qigong, we have to go back to the founding of the religion that birthed it, which is it's called Falun Gong um okay. or Falun Dafa, but it usually goes by Falun Gong. And it's a Chinese religious spiritual practice that combines meditation and qigong exercises with like a moral philosophy um that's centered on truthfulness, compassion and forbearance. Sounds good <laughs> so Sounds far. Great, yeah. So it was founded by a man named Li Hongzi um, in 1992. And the 90s were, like, a popular time for these kind of Qigong movements in China. There were a lot of different, like, spiritual teachers who were kind of like, if you meditate and you, like, think positive thoughts, like, that's a good thing. So there were a million of these teachers at the time. And the Chinese government was kind of like, yes, we want all of us. Yeah, that's not bad. Let's all meditate. Great. (laughs) Um... However, Falun Gong was different um, because there were no fees or formal membership. There was no daily ritual of worship. And it really, really emphasized like thinking deeply about morality and the theological nature of its teachings more than like doing chai chi in the park. Uh, So basically, it's really accessible to everybody and it makes you think about deep stuff. It looks a lot like a religion more than it does like a spiritual practice. I don't really understand the difference between a
1: religion and a spiritual practice.
0: Mostly, like other Qigong teachings, were like if you meditate and relax your body and do these exercises, like you'll really be calm and centered, and won't that be good? Oh, okay. So it's more, oh, I see, I see. It's yeah. more for your spiritual well being rather than a, a belief practice system. A belief system. Exactly. Whereas Got it. all okay. of a sudden, Falun Gong is teaching, like... It's like, wait, this has got more <laughs> of a backbone than yeah. just, and just meditation. And it's really unique for these Qigong movements that this is free. Like, he the the founder, Lee hyeong is like, we don't charge for classes. We want everyone to be able to do this. Oh, it sounds like church. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just come and you'll be accepted. Whereas the other movements were like, I really want to teach you this, so give me some money and I'll teach you. Yeah. That. I could see the government being like, oh, <laughs> is that what happened? That is what happened. Oh, good. <laughs> Um, so like I said, at first Falun Gong is actually embraced by the government because it's an effective means of lowering healthcare costs and promoting Chinese culture and public morality. So The Chinese government is like, great, like people are more, more mindful, they're loving these kind of like spiritual teachings that harken back to China's history, and everyone's happier. There's like upper level people in the government who are doing Falun Gong, it's all good. However, it is not long before Falun Gong gets too popular- Uh Uh-oh. So, by the late 90s, there were an estimated 70 million practitioners.
1: Damn!
0: Including, like I said, high-level members of the Chinese Communist Party. To the Chinese government, the fact that a quasi-religious organization could inspire that huge of a number of people was reason for concern. The Chinese government is not, like, super fond of religion. Uh, I'm not going to get all the way into (laughs) Chinese politics today. Yes, I've read. (laughs) um, But... That's like when we did the, um, the
1: execution of the Romanovs, and we're like, there is a backstory, we're not going to cover it.
0: I'm not gonna cover thousands of years of politics murdering children is
1: wrong, their dad might
0: have been a dick, honestly, who's to say? (laughs) Who's to say? Who is to say? Um, so, at that point, the Chinese government kind of approached Falun Gong and their founder, Li Hongzi, and was like hey, like, we should solidify a a strict organizational structure and you guys should be, like, approved by the Communist Party, who is the state, Um, who is everyone. We're all in the Communist Party. Fair. So we should start, like, you know, some really formal (laughs) connections and we should really just be sure that you guys are talking to us about what you're teaching and we're saying yes or no.
1: Yeah. Let's just get on the same page, but, like, immediately. But, like, my page.
0: In a mandatory way. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, Li is approached by the Chinese National Sports Committee, the Ministry of Public Health, and the China Qigong Science Research Association, the CQRS, um, to try to establish this, like, really formal association, and Li Hongzhi is like, no, I'm actually good. I can just keep doing this by myself, separate, with my 70 million followers. (laughs) We're straight. Thanks. (laughs) We're honestly good. (laughs) Um, the same year, the CQRS issues a new regulation that mandates all Qigong denominations establish a Communist Party branch. So it's like, okay, like, I get it. We were asking and you were like, no, that's chill. But now we're telling you, like, if you're going to practice this, like, be part of this Qigong movement, you have to join the Communist Party. Yeah. (laughs) And again, Lee is like, no, I'm good. Uh, meanwhile, while this is going on, Li Hongzhi is also not liked by his fellow Qigong masters. Again, he is the only branch that gives lessons for free. So the other masters literally feel like he is undercutting their business.
1: I would get that. Like if you were a massage therapist and then down the street, somebody was like, I'm a massage therapist (laughs) and I'm just going to give massages for free all day. Yeah. The people over there would be like, I
0: need to eat. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Kind of. Yes. I kind of get it. So now they're complaining to the CQRS... Um, and Li Hongzhi is not willing to register with the Communist Party, so the CQRS is, like, you are no longer, like, a Qigong practice. You can't be if you're gonna do all this shit. Um, and therefore he is now running as an independent operation with zero input from the state. And the state does not love this. Especially because, again, it's got, like, 70 million followers.
1: Yeah, they powerful.
0: Yeah, they, they a lot. So they start investigating Falun Gong in the late 90s for um, heretical teachings, is what they call it. Um, And Falun Gong practitioners reported having their phone lines tapped, their homes ransacked and raided, and their exercise sites disrupted by public security agents. Whoa. So they're really trying to get, like, any dirt on these followers they can, because they do not want these people growing in power. Remind me what year this is? Late 90s. Late 90s, okay. So it's around this time that they're, you know, so they're doing these actual physical things, but also they're like, you know, what's really popular propaganda. Mm. So they start this propaganda campaign against Falun Gong. First, they were saying that it's anti-science and anti-communism. So they're like kind of reversing their thing before and they're like, meditating doesn't make you better. Like this is anti-science, this movement. But they were just into it. I know. But now they're out of it. (laughs) They think you should be too. And they're like, plus this, it, they don't, they're not communists, and we all are communists and love it, right, you guys, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But that doesn't really sway people because they're like, well, this feels like it works for me, so I don't really care as much that it's uh, anti-science and anti-communism. I like it. Um, so I it. right. So then they start to say uh, that Falun Gong is a dangerous cult, and that's why they're trying to stop it. They say Li Hongzhi is the leader of this cult, it's growing in power, he's totally got all these people under his sway, and that's why they're going in and raiding these homes and tapping these phones, is to stop a cult. Which in the late 90s, cults were, like, booming. Oh, yeah. So it was in the zeitgeist to kind of be, like... It was trendy. Cult busting. Now, strictly speaking, Falun Gong does not match the criteria for a cult. Its members can marry outside the group and have outside friends. They're allowed to hold normal, normal jobs. They don't live isolated from society. Uh, and at this point, and still arguably, they do not believe that the world's end is imminent. Uh, and again... Where le- did you
1: find that checklist? Uh, internet. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. I was like, that seems pretty, like, pretty spot
0: on. Yeah. But I,
1: I didn't know that there was, like, a formal checklist.
0: There kind of is. I love that. There's, like, if you're looking at a group and you're like, are you a cult? There's, like signs yeah. to look out for um and also again Falun Gong does not charge for its teachings so they're not giving massive amounts of money to the organization oh that's a big one which is also often a big red flag when it comes if to cults. there's this charismatic guy who all of a sudden has your social security number big red flag yeah <laughs> absolutely huge red flag and it also at this point um is trying to kind of be apolitical like it's very inward facing and it's just like you want you to be better like who cares about the outside world But the title of cult really works as a red herring for what the Chinese government is doing. And the persecution all of a sudden does not seem so bad. Like, oh, of course we don't want this dangerous cult growing in China. Yes, the government should.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Fuck shit up. So at this point, Falun Gong practitioners begin staging peaceful protests against the government. And this culminates on April 25th of 1999, when more than 10,000 Falun Gong practitioners quietly gathered in Beijing to demand an end to government harassment. It was literally the largest protest in China since Tiananmen Square. Wow. Uh, And the Chinese response was swift and pretty predictable. They outlawed the practice of Falun Gong, they arrested tens of thousands of people, and they doubled their efforts for this propaganda campaign saying that Falun Gong was a cult. So, along with democracy, Tibet, and Taiwan, Falun Gong becomes one of the government's most verboten subjects.
1: (laughs) Those are the big four. (laughs) Big
0: bugaboos. That you cannot really mention. Um, To get real life horrifying for a second, the persecution of Falun Gong practitioners in China continues to this day, and it's horrendous the things that happen. Um, Those that follow the practices of Falun Gong are routinely tortured killed and then have their organs harvested by the government. Oh my god. It's awful. That's horrific. Um yeah, for for Falun Gong practitioners still living in China, it is literally very dangerous. Um but the rest of this story uh kind of moves with Li Hongzhi because in the mid 90s, Li Hongzhi had kind of fucked off and hadn't been heard from from his followers in some time. Oh. When shit was starting to look really bad, he was like, "I'm to bounce exactly what i would do so. oh absolutely i don't blame him for bouncing but he kind of settles in america he settles in upstate new york oh my god i didn't even realize when i started researching a hotbed this. of things that are bad i know and so. so um so he's like kind of not being heard from as things are escalating in china uh, but after the protest in 1999 he re-emerges and as described by Andrew Junker, who is a sociologist at the Valparaiso University and has written extensively about Falun Gong, he kind of emerged with this new message. Uh, and Junker says, "quote There was a transition to a religious and millenarian interpretation, a sign that the end of days are here." Oh, red oh that's flag. right, baby. We're an end of days group now. Oh no 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 no. Come I on. Oh. So it feels like a good time now to actually get into the beliefs of Falun Gong, uh, which I kind of skimmed over earlier. I just kind of said, like, there were some. So
1: let's talk about them.
0: Now maybe it matters. So some of them are normal and some of them are not. Uh, Falun Gong aspires to enable the practitioners to ascend spirituality through moral recessitude and the practice of exercises and meditation. So, like I mentioned before, their three central tenets are truthfulness, compassion, and forbearance. Uh, And they basically believe that, like, this is the fundamental nature of the cosmos. There's a huge difference between, like, right and wrong, and you have to follow, like, the good path and not do any bad stuff. Um, And they talk a lot about, like, Buddhist dharma. That's a big part of their belief system. So adherence to and cultivation of these virtues is fundamental to Falun Gong practice. And as Li Hongzi puts it, quote, It doesn't matter how mankind's moral standard changes. The nature of the cosmos doesn't change. And it is the only standard for determining who's good and who's bad. So to be a cultivator, you have to take the nature of the cosmos as your guide for improving yourself.
1: That could mean a lot of different things.
0: Yeah, it's a pretty black and white worldview. So that means that some of Falun Gong's beliefs are pretty problematic. Right. An example of that, um, in Falun Gong, all sexual relations, um, must be inside the confines of a monogamous heterosexual marriage. Problem, Or they are are regarded as immoral. Funnily, like, they don't even encourage, like, they don't even think straight people should be horny. Like, they're like, if you, if you must fuck, only fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Your wife, you know what I mean? Like and a lot of Falun Gong practitioners like are married and have children, but like the the rigidness of that belief is weird and also leads to um some pretty anti-homosexual beliefs. Yeah. And so um there are LGBT people who practice Falun Gong, um, and Li Hongzhi says that's fine, but he just says homosexual conduct generates karma which in the Falun Gong, like, belief system is the opposite of virtue. So you want to build virtue and not karma.
1: Okay. Yeah. Uh,
0: and therefore, it's viewed as incompatible with the goals of the practice. So it's like, you can be gay, but just, like, you're not doing a good job as a Falun Gong practitioner. Okay. If you're gay. Um, they also have this belief that different ethnicities have their own heaven. And that um, individuals of mixed race lose some aspect of their connection to the cosmos and the heaven that they're—that's not great. Race is supposed to go to. That's so. reminding me of in Harry Potter when you get splinched, yeah,
1: when you're operating. <laughs> that's like, what it is. I think that's what would happen to people of mixed race, which is terrible. Yeah,
0: and so again, like I think Li Hong Zi like didn't think it through when he started these beliefs. And now he's trying to be like, oh, well, that's not. Well, I think he was just started
1: from like, oh, and every race, you know, has their own heaven. Isn't that nice? And like, that's, you know, like you kind of go with your own community. And then they're like, well, there are people who are mixed race. And he's like, yeah, no, I thought about that. Um, This is what happens.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So he has said there's nothing wrong with being mixed race. There's many practitioners of Falun Gong who have children who are mixed race or are mixed race themselves. But I guess in the belief system, it just means you're less spiritual. I don't, they're pretty, they're pretty gray on this one. Yeah. Uh, Lee has also stated um, that you can get supernatural abilities and special powers if you are a Falun Gong uh, adherent and very dedicated to your study. So basically, he says there's up to 10,000 supernatural powers, um, but he has never listed them. He just says, like, that's about how many there are that you can get if you practice uh, Falun Gong. But he has said um, that you can open your celestial eye, which may enable practitioners to see into other spatial dimensions and or through walls. He says you can develop clairvoyance, precognition, levitation, and, quote, the ability to transform one kind of object to another kind of object. Okay. Which is pretty broad. (laughs) He had an interview with Time Magazine in 1999, and he talked about Falun Gong practitioners who have the ability to levitate, and he also spoke at length about an extraterrestrial invasion, N- saying, <laughs> <laughs> he said, quote, Since the beginning of this century, aliens have begun to invade the human mind and its ideology and culture. Everyone thinks that scientists invent on their own, when in fact their inspiration is manipulated by aliens. When the interviewer asked uh, Lee if he was a human being, he was enigmatic and said, you can think of me as a human being. I don't love that. But you know what? That sounds like something an alien would say, so... It's very Twilight Zone. There you go. Uh, and finally, let's get to the world endy stuff. So Lee says, basically, that where we are right now is the Dharma ending period of the world, which is described in Buddhist scriptures as an age of moral decline when the teachings of Buddhism need to be rectified. So basically he's like, that's the time we're in right now. And Falun Gong is what's going to kind of renew the cosmos. And he like points to the persecution of Falun Gong followers as evidence of we're kind of in the end times because mor- morality is so low that people who are practicing good stuff get persecuted.
1: All right, I'm following the logic, but very skeptical.
0: Yeah, so so it's kind of complicated because it's not a doomsday cult the way that, like, Western civilization thinks of a doomsday cult, cult. like Heaven's Gate. Yeah, it's not Heaven's Gate, we're gonna get picked up by the aliens. We're good. It's more like, it's like a, they think of it as a cycle, so it's like... This is this period of the cycle where the world is fucked up and needs to be reborn. But then the reborn is coming. So they don't necessarily think everyone's going to die. It's that we're all going to come to like a reckoning and get better. I think so.
1: Okay. So it's it's a little complicated. This sounds like maybe harmless, except for all the weird racial and homophobic stuff. Yeah.
0: So that's kind of where we're at with this. Falun Gong is probably a new weird religion with some problematic teachings. But at the same time, they are being unfairly persecuted by the Chinese government. Right. So it's both. <laughs> right.
1: And I mean, they're not... So this is the thing about that, is in theory, yeah, there's a ton of bad shit happening in the world, But it's kind of like there always is, right? Yeah. Like, people are like, oh, we need to go back to the olden days. And it's like, things have been pretty shitty kind of forever because we're all fallible human beings. Yeah. The idea of making things better is great. Yes. But I feel like in every cult, there's this kind of, like, bridge (laughs) moment, right? Where people are like, we're just trying to make the world a better place. And then it's like, oh, and the way we're going to do that is by... Like blowing up this boat. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like something it's such happens. A fast little switch and you're like, whoa, 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 where did you how did you get there? Like Heaven's Gate at first was like, Oh, when we naturally die, <laughs> yeah. that's us shedding our vehicle. Yeah. And then just one guy had an idea,
0: like, we gotta shed our vehicles. And <laughs> then people died. And then they all died. So... Well, so luckily I think they're going to change the world through the power of dance. Let's get to that. Oh, oh, yeah! (laughs) So, (laughs) like I mentioned before, Li Hongzhi had relocated to the U.S., specifically upstate New York, in the early 2000s. Um, And so he and a lot of kind of non-Chinese or expat Chinese Falun Gong practitioners had ended up in America or all over the world because they had fled China in droves when this persecution was happening. And so... They were trying to, like, become a little bit more politically active, which had not originally been part of, like, the Falun Gong thing. But they were like, we have to do something about all the bad stuff that's happening. Okay. And so they start to figure out, like, what they can do um, to fix it. And ironically, one... um, guy from the university of montreal david onby said quote they were perfectly patriotic nationalistic chinese people most of them had immigrated for economic reasons they weren't dissonance at all when this started but when the crackdown came from china then people got political fair enough which maybe you deserve it china so they're like we should form a dance troupe <laughs>
1: positive way to respond to persecution i have to say
0: i know and and i know you want to hear it from me but let's hear it from the master himself lee Hongzi. let's do it so this next part is excerpted from a really great piece by nicholas hoon brown um that's called selling china by the sleeve dance and if you're interested in this story you must read that piece it's literally awesome so um here's the quote in an appearance at the 2014 new york fa conference lee gives his account of the origin of the dance troupe How did Shen Yun first get started, he asked? There was a group of Dafa disciples involved in the arts who wished to use their professional skills to expose the persecution and save sentient beings. According to Li, these early performances weren't very good. It distressed him to see his spiritual practice represented by such mediocre art. (laughs) (laughs) Quote i observed this as people who were leaving the theater afterwards they were making all kinds of comments but not many of these were compliments said lee the words i heard weighed on me so the master stepped in if a dance show was going to save the people it needed to be a top-notch dance show afterwards i thought i'll lead them in doing this and that's how shen yun was first established Jesus Christ.
1: That's I that. hysterical.
0: So since its founding in 2006, Shen Yun has grown like crazy from a single troupe to five companies and 40 odd dancers who are like constantly touring all around the world. They have a training school in Deer Park, New York. Uh, and it's a mixture of professionals and full time like Falun Gong students who, uh, who perform unpaid, which isn't great.
1: Yeah.
0: And they spend their time traveling around the world, spreading um, what they're calling like the true history of China. Um, but also their dances have a distinctly political message. And here we go back to Nicholas um, Hewn-Brown, who the story is that he's bringing his grandmother, who is originally from China, to see Shen Yun, And he's like describing what he's seeing. So this is one of the dances. At the end of the first act, the MCs took to the stage to announce yet another routine. China has a long history of spirituality, the man explained, but in China today you can be arrested or even killed just for meditating. With his fixed smile and a familiar gesture, he introduced the next piece, The Power of Compassion, a scene from contemporary China. The curtain rose on a group of young students sitting in peace, meditating, and reading oversized yellow Falun Gong books. They performed elaborately pantomimed good deeds, helping an old woman with a cane, chasing down a woman who dropped her purse... Uh, A girl walked by chugging from a bottle of alcohol, and a young Falun Gong practitioner brought her into the fold and took away her liquor. Okay. One of the good do-gooders then unveiled a Falun Gong banner. Suddenly, a trio of men wearing black tunics emblazoned with a red hammer and sickle entered, looking like the villains in a Bruce Lee movie. The communist thugs began beating people up, clubbing and kicking innocent Falun Gong followers. They attacked a young woman, and a boy tried to protect her. In the melee, one of the attackers twisted his ankle and fell to the ground. A Falun Gong practitioner tried to help his injured foe, who kept striking him. Undeterred, the young man moved to help the thug away, lifting him up and carrying him on his back while the villain continued to rain punches on him. In the piece's climax, the communists lifted his fists for a final blow. He let it hover in the air, trembling, and then... In a moment of tension that reminded me, more than anything, of Keanu Reeves' inability to kill Patrick Swayze (laughs) in the third act of Point Break, (laughs) slowly dropped it. Too moved by the young man's compassion to continue. So, that's very political. That's a choice. And imagine going to that show thinking, like, you're gonna see sleeve dances, and then that's the ending of Act 1. Right. And I, it also sounds like a grad student
1: theater project. Yeah. (laughs) Hoi. More than anything I just want the two of us to be able to go
0: to the show. I know we should go. Um the best part about this is that the Chinese government hates it so much. <laughs> they try to stop every performance of Shenyan internationally. In Ecuador, Ireland, Berlin, and Stockholm, theaters and local governments have received letters or visits from the local Chinese embassy attempting to cancel the dance show. Yikes. Um in Moldova in 2010, the comp- the Shenyan company arrived at their theater Hours before their scheduled performance, and found themselves locked out because the Chinese government had been threatening this Moldovan theater, uh, and even the Chinese embassy in Washington issued a statement saying, "quote They have been staging so-called Shenyan performances in the U.S. in recent years in the name of promoting Chinese culture and showcasing the Oriental charm." But in fact, in addition to their tacky taste and low artistic standards, the performances were filled with cult messages and implied attacks against the Chinese government. So, like, they're putting that out in America. Right. It's just, it's hard because it's like, you don't ever,
1: there is a history of censorship there for positive art. Like, I'm thinking about, like, Ai Weiwei, and, Mm -hmm. like, he's a very famous artist who does incredible political activism Against the rigidity of the Chinese government. Yeah. And his work is incredible, but it's also criticized.
0: Yeah. But this
1: isn't that. Yeah. <laughs> right? And so, just the idea
0: of, like, the Chinese government having to follow around these, like, American Falun Gong practitioners who are doing this dance show. Yeah. And at every city being like, this is tacky. We hate it. <laughs> So um, Shen Yun also reports a catalog of kind of more illegal, insidious attempts to silence the group. Um, for example, the group said they had their tires slashed um, at a show in Tennessee. And in Chicago, someone allegedly tampered with the truck co- covered in Shen Yun ads, pouring corrosive chemicals on the brake and accelerator pedals. So that's scary. Ooh. The shoot group says that Chinese spies photograph their movements and listen in on their phone calls. They report suspicious break ins where the only missing items are passports and laptops. It's, I'm sure, very scary if you're one of these performers. Yeah, that's scary. So, I mean, that's Shenyan. It's um, weird and absurd that the government of China is trying to stop dance theater. Um, it's also horrible that Falun Gong practice nerds in China are so heavily persecuted. But it's also a very odd new religion controlled by a kind of shady dude with some problematic beliefs. Um, It's a lot. It's just a lot. (laughs) Yeah, wow. So many
1: layers.
0: Yeah, there's just a hundred thousand layers to this. Um, Again, if this is interesting to you, I am begging you to read Nicholas Hume Brown's story because it's like so well researched, so interesting. And he has a really interesting perspective on it. Um, But yeah, so, you know, just a quick, easy story for you. I am loving
1: it. I have to say. I just want to say on behalf of everyone, thank you for your service <laughs> in researching this and literally uh, I was
0: like at my desk job, like, like what? Furiously typing for like hours. Oh about... my god. It was so yeah. Well we should see Shenyun, I guess, the next time it's in town. Who wants to Venmo
1: us? What is it? Forty dollars a ticket. I, I would know. love to see it. Let's let's look up when it's when it's coming in and, oh and then we should go see it. Cause I need to be able to do, like, a, a a follow-up. A mini-sode. It's like, Sam and Ali react. <laughs> <laughs> we become theater critics for one episode. Oh, my God. But thank you so much. That was fantastic. Oh, my goodness.
0: Thank you so, for, for going on that journey with for me. For doing
1: that. Hey, horror honeys. We hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, we hope you'll subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Twitter, at I'm Horrified Pod. Your support means the world to us.
0: And if you're not enjoying the show, why are you still listening? Maybe you do like the show.
1: So, are you ready to talk about uh, astronauts now? Absolutely. I'm not because <laughs> I I find space to be at once fascinating and very upsetting. Yeah. Um, like the ocean. It's like it's like the ocean of the sky. Yes. Except infinite ocean's pretty infinite as well it's not infinite it's not technically by, by <laughs> not technically it's not <laughs> infinite um, but space could you could just you could literally go on forever I mean it feels like you go on forever in the ocean this isn't a useful conversation but it's just. I think about it and I freak out a little bit, but Mm. I also, like, when I was a kid, I loved space, and then a fun fact about me is that I'm from Framingham, which I've said before, Framingham, Massachusetts, and my hometown has a special fascination with astronauts because Krista McAuliffe lived there and taught in Framingham. Have I told the story on this podcast about being part of um, the Wax Museum at Hemingway Elementary?
0: I don't know if you told it on the podcast, but we did talk about Krista McAuliffe on the Challenger episode. Yeah, I'm sure I told it then. So you might have told it then. You guys remember, guys? If we haven't told it, um, tweeted us, and then we'll do a mini episode. <laughs> Allie talks about the wax museum. I just I dressed <laughs> up as Chris McCall. That's it. Um, but
1: yeah, no, she's not one of the awful astronauts I'm about to talk about. Thank God. Um, what if she was? Oh like, what my God. if it's like you know, in addition to the fact that she died tragically, <laughs> she spent seven months in prison for aggravated assault. <laughs> I mean, maybe she did. I didn't look it up. That's true. I'm not claiming to know. Um, this is a variation in our consistent theme of disrespecting the dead. Oh, God. Um. So, anyways, these are not, as we said, people who are terrible at being astronauts, <laughs> but simply astronauts who are who also terrible. are terrible people. Okay. So, I'm going to keep it listicle style, and I need to say that I phoned it in a little bit on this one, because almost all of this information with backups from other various sources, are from a grunge article called Respected Astronauts Who Were Awful People. Nice. <laughs> I saw this article and I was like, great, we're done. This is it. This is what I want to do. We did it.
0: We found I it. I think this is what we should do. That's. Hey, I fully admitted the other day to just Googling people who were famously bad at their jobs, and that's going to be like eight episodes for me.
1: Yes. I,
0: <laughs> I agree. So I'm going to start with the
1: only lady here. Oh. Ladies first. Ladies first, as, as it should be. So... We're going to start with Lisa Nowak. So, Nowak was a mission specialist in robotics for NASA, and she flew aboard the Discovery in 2006. So, she was selected to be an astronaut in 1996 and was placed on leave and then subsequently fired in 2007, and I will tell you why. Why? Lisa was married with three kids, and she had a little something on the side. As sometimes we do. With another astronaut, um, named William Opheline, um... Now, all I'm picturing is the two of them in their astronaut suits, like, yeah. making out, but the glass things are getting in the way. I love that. That's kind of what I'm picturing. I'm
0: picturing, like, hand stuff, but zero Gs. Yeah. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> so, this guy broke off their affair and started a relationship with an Air Force captain. Lisa was not thrilled about this. No, she she wanted to stay probably together. And... She decided to handle her feelings in the only possible way that I can imagine. Journaling. No. (laughs) (laughs) She stalked this woman for two months. Yep. And then, to quote Wikipedia, she packed latex gloves, a black wig, a BB pistol and ammunition, pepper spray, a hooded trench coat, a two-pound drilling hammer, black gloves, rubber tubing, plastic garbage bags, $585 in cash and an 8-inch Gerber folding knife, among several other items, into her car before driving the 900 miles to Florida.
0: So it seems like she's planning to...
1: Chat? Yeah. <laughs> Go camping. Have a healthy confrontation with her ex-lover. Yeah. So what she was doing was heading to the parking lot of this woman's workplace to quote unquote confront her. <laughs> so we don't know, or I guess maybe we do know. I think we know. What would have happened. Um, there were some accounts that she wore a diaper during her 900 mile drive from That's Houston, what to I remember about this. That's not substantiated, but that's the reason it was on the news. It feels like the right energy. It is the absolute (laughs) right energy. You're exactly right, For what she was doing. And her mugshot is very... Chaotic. It's very chaotic. That's the (laughs) exact right adjective, Sam. You're killing it. So, yeah. No one really knows what she was planning to do, but...
0: We can guess. Something
1: bad. She was charged with attempted kidnapping, the end. Oh my god, Lisa. Um so here's another one. This one's awful. Um, I'm gonna get the awful one out of the way. This is the worst one of all of them, so I'm just gonna get it out of the way. Absolutely. So James Donald Housel Jr. He was an astronaut in, I believe, the early 2000s, and doesn't his name just make him sound like a total fucking asshole? Yeah. James Donald Housel, like, just, like, a preppy... Yeah. All his friends asshole. probably call him Housey. Ew. Um, well, if he sounds like an asshole, you're absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. He, um, was a retired astronaut, or is a retired astronaut. I don't know if he's alive or not. It doesn't matter. He flew five shuttle missions for NASA, so he was full-on in space. Like, he was an astronaut. And in 2016, he had three glasses of wine, is what he says, it was probably more, and took 10 packets of sleeping pills and then got behind the wheel of a car.
0: Okay. He then
1: drove... His car, full speed, into the back of another car, tragically murdering two children. Oh, my God. Ages 11 and 13 years old. What the fuck? To my understanding, he has not served jail time for this crime. What? Yeah. What the fuck? How? I read that, and I and it's like, people don't know. I couldn't find an account of whether or not he served jail time, but he got out on bail, which, what the fuck? And then, like, his trial was like delayed a bunch of times and it's like he murdered two children yeah so I have no idea what's happening there I'm furious he's a monster has he said why he did that no he says he doesn't remember it Mm. you can't just say that when you do bad stuff
0: you probably stopped remembering after the eighth packet of sleeping pills yes I would agree okay so we're
1: gonna move on to something more of like a jaunty awful like I'm just cheating on my wife you know (laughs) what I mean like it's just less intense yeah so Don Eisel, This is a fun one. Don was an astronaut in the 60s. When Ooh, being an the astronaut 60s. Yeah, being an astronaut was like almost like being a fun rock star. Like yes. you were interviewed on Bob Hope and like people wanted your autograph. And so Don was very famous because he flew on the Apollo 7. His son was very tragically dying of leukemia. Oh. But he infamously was never around and left his wife to care for him almost all the time oh and was just gosh. like fully abandoning them but still was married to her and after his son passed away he went back to cape canaveral like the next day and left harriet his wife by herself Ugh. and he was also cheating on her a lot while this was happening yeah do i have to say that I um so in an almost positive turn of events they get a divorce And then NASA fires him for getting divorced because they need their famous astronauts to be role models. This is going to come up again a couple of times. And yeah, so like in the 60s, divorce was like a big no-no. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: But I think he deserves it for being such a shitty
0: dad. Yeah. Frankly, he wasn't a good role model when he wasn't supporting his wife and his son with leukemia. Yeah.
1: I think that
0: that was, I would say, when they should have fired him for being a poor role model. I agree.
1: So another guy who got divorced and then fired was Dwayne Gravelin, Mm. who worked in the field of space medicine, which I did not know was a thing.
0: You have to go to a lot of college probably to be a space doctor. At least three college.
1: (laughs) Um, His wife, Carol Jane, actually filed for divorce herself because of his, quote, violent and ungovernable bursts of anger. Great. Great. Um, So good for you for doing that, Carol. He was only an astronaut for a record two months when this happened. He was the shortest, he had the (laughs) shortest career of any astronaut. And then he was promptly let go for being divorced. He went on to marry about six times. Oh, God. And had a career as a doctor, but then had his license revoked for stealing Demerol from the hospital he was working at. That tracks. Yeah. (laughs) And then he got his license back and then horrifically, was accused of sexually abusing children under his care. Oh, my God. So it was revoked again. Now, here's my problem with that. Why did he get it back the first time after stealing drugs from a
0: hospital? Yeah, it feels like when you're a doctor, stealing drugs for a ho- from a hospital should really be, like, a one-strike system. Yeah, I think so. It's just, like,
1: another sparkling example of terrible men being given endless second chances. Yeah. Um, but we move on. Here's another divorce one. Um, a lot of these are... <laughs> <laughs> Divorce isn't the bad part about this. Get divorced. Yeah. I mean, I'm, don't
0: get divorced. I'm thrilled if... for these women that they're no longer shackled to these shitty assholes. Exactly. Like,
1: that is not... I. There's no ethical bearing on that. It's just they happen to all <laughs> be divorced from their wives because they were awful. Yeah. Um. And it comes up because NASA doesn't like that. So... Be awful to your wife, but stay married to her, by right. God. So this is Gordon Cooper. Gordon had a long-term affair In addition to his beautiful wife, Trudy, and two children. And eventually, Trudy was like, I'm fucking out of here. Yeah. I'm done with it. So pretty soon, he goes back to her and he says, Trudy, I'm gonna be true to you. Hey. Please take me back. But not because he was done cheating on her or because he loved her or anything like that. No, of course not. But because he didn't want to lose his job at NASA and he was due to, like, go up on a space mission and it was this whole big deal. And could she just play it cool for another decade or so? Oh my god! So she says yes, uh-huh. and she comes back like, "If you're
0: not such a dick, fine."
1: Yeah, and to quote the grunge article that this all these came from, uh, quote in the astronauts' wives' club, Lily Copple speculated that Tree returned so her daughters could benefit from their father's fame or maybe it was the $70,000 fee they would get for a life magazine profile at any rate the couple stayed married until just before Cooper retired in 1970 when it no longer mattered if he had a wife <laughs> which you know what i'm not beneath it yeah you know if that's the if that's the right move for you and your daughter Trudy fuck no yeah. i get it um so, here we go. Uh, somebody we probably all recognize. Buzz Aldrin. No, Buzz. Uh, so, we all know who Buzz Aldrin is. He was on the moon and stuff. Whatever. So, before the whole moon thing, he was famous for keeping pet monkeys. Which people really shouldn't do. No. You're not supposed to have... Those are wild animals. Yeah. Wild animals living as pets. They're get not a, pets. They're animals. Get a dog. Get... Yeah. Dogs like to be in houses. Yeah. Um. So, he gets this monkey... And this monkey is very hostile towards his wife. And the wife is like, it's me or the monkey. And he's like, okay, pack up your shit and leave. (gasps) but Because (laughs) I prefer this monkey. And so she doesn't leave. (laughs) Right, I get it. She doesn't leave then, but she does divorce him later. But not for a while after that. Because after the moon landing, he was very very depressed and some people I think have speculated if that if that has anything had any bearing on your physical I think we know that it has a bearing on your physical health Mm -hmm. being in space but on your mental health people aren't so sure there's not that many people to test yeah um but he was he became a very depressed person he was a huge alcoholic and a very volatile drunk and so he started suing all of his kids for stuff for like slander and things like that okay but he's just kind of weird. Yeah. He didn't do anything that bad, but
0: the monkey so thing's not being, great. being that bold to be like, good yeah. bye, bye, babe. The monkey's my wife now. So we're ending um,
1: with somebody who is not an astronaut, but rather an intern at NASA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I saved the best for last. And I'm oh, just going to no. quote the article, the Grunge article that I read, because it's funny and I'm tired. So, quote, 25-year-old NASA intern Thad Roberts, Ugh. that's his name, already had a reputation as a bad boy, which NASA seems to like, even though they won't ever admit it. His worst transgression before being expelled in 2002 was sneaking into the space shuttle simulator. Then he decided he really wanted to make some waves, not by impressing the higher-ups and proving his worth as a future astronaut, but by stealing a safe full of moon rocks, (laughs) mostly because NASA wasn't doing anything with them. So that sounds kind of noble if Roberts had actual scientific plans for the moon rocks or something, but he didn't. No, he just wanted them. Instead, he wanted to sell them to a Belgian collector. On a road trip to meet the collector to sell the rocks, he and his girlfriend, not his wife, who he'd left at home, put oh. them put them under the blankets of a motel bed so they could become the very first members of the 250,000 mile high club. <laughs> When they arrived at the meeting place, it turned out the sp- suspicious mineralist had called the FBI, and they were busted.
0: <laughs> oh my god!
1: But like in the sixties, he probably could have been an astronaut. Yeah, in all the you 60s had to do it would have
0: been like, that's fine. All you
1: had to do was be like a
0: handsome,
1: kind of like football-looking dude. Yeah, and they just send you up into space, I guess. So, there are literally more. Like, there were more people <laughs> in this article. There were other articles about people who were bad at being astronauts. Oh, I didn't God. have time. To- I didn't have time. We no, don't have
0: time. We don't have time.
1: So, we'll do more maybe later. I would love this to be a reoccurring segment. I love it. Yeah. So, I'm just like, why is it that there are so many shitty astronauts in particular? <laughs> and I've settled on the fact that if you're an astronaut, you're probably a man. hmm And you're probably a man in power. Mm-hmm. And men in power just in general. Come on. Yeah. Let's be real here. The, the, that that sample is going to have a high quantity yeah, of assholes. Yeah, exactly. But you know who's to say? And there you go. And there's some terrible astroturf oh for you. I'm horrified. With I know. <laughs> what? what a crazy thing? What a crazy episode. I know. I'm <laughs> I'm just floored. Why do we do this? Why do we do this podcast? But I'm filled with like a giddiness. Oh, wow. That you get after, you know, like watching a
0: particularly terrible vine. Mm. Or being on a, I feel a lot of the time like, you know how when you're on a roller coaster, you're like, I'm going to die? Mm-hmm. And then as soon as it like is done, you're like, that was so fun. Yes. That's kind of like what recording this podcast with you is like. <gasps> Oh, I feel the same way. Yeah. I feel the same way. Do you guys feel that way? Or are you just gonna like uh unsubscribe? Are you just thinking about the how the Chinese government is controlling the practitioners of fallen gun? Well, we want you to think about that too. You think about both. We contain multitudes. And this week, while you think about that, we hope you stay horrified. Stay horrified.